Hello, everyone. Welcome to this week's episode of Hollywood Breaks. It's good to be with you on episode 55. Uh, it's a great big episode. We kind of discussed this nostalgia moment that we're having with all these 90s actors and films coming into the theaters and asking the question, are we going back the right way or is there actually a way forward? And we'll see that with uh, Paramount's new move um, with this new CEO, Brian Robbins. Maybe he's making the big move or hopefully he's making the big move instead of just diving through 20,000 hours of Paramount Plus video. But that and many other questions, we wanna know what's, what our uh, key thoughts are on the Matrix trailer. Uh, I wanna hear his real opinion about this AMC ad that came out with Nicole Kidman. I know that one's gonna be good. Um, so this and many other things, stay tuned for this week's episode of Hollywood Breaks. So I'm reading this interesting book or actually listening to it because I'm in Los Angeles. So I have these hour long commutes. It's like the greatest audiobooks are the greatest. <laughs> Only an hour? Wow, you must be on like the, the speedway. <laughs> yeah, right. I get the carpooling. Yeah, there you go. Um, but the, it's an interesting book because it's talking about generations. And it's actually the book is written in the 90s. Mm. And it talks about these generational patterns. And then they, from 1993, predict the next 20 years. And it's insane how close the conversation they were having. It missed a couple of items. Um, but, uh, and it throws by a couple of years, but, um, I like to hear a conversation, somebody written in the nineties of what the two, 2020s are going to be like. Um, and then to see the, the Dune trailer, the AMC trailer and the matrix trailer come out. I think to myself, I think I'm actually having a flashback. This is like a <laughs> 90s hangover week. I don't know what this one was, but oh, you know, oh man. It, like I don't I don't like the Dune thing. I, by the way, I didn't think Dune was successful in the first two releases. Like it's a very different story mm. than than yes. the stories it gave birth to. It's very influential in the stories that we appreciate, but the story right. itself is not something. Yes, it's a very complicated book. It's a very thick book. I've never read it, but but it, yeah, to your point, it did birth like Star Wars and you know Lucas obviously used that a lot of the sort of space drama that is inherent in Dune to sort of inform his obviously a little bit more simplified story of the Star Wars mythology. But it is interesting how it seems like things that from the 90s are sort of creeping back up and people that's where people are sort of looking for their new IP. And somebody actually made a comment about this. One of our listeners on, um, on, on LinkedIn, um, he, he mentioned that it's interesting because we were talking last, we talked a lot about Maverick and he brought up the idea that, you know, it seems like the IP that people are searching for is just rehashing the eighties and nineties again, and just trying to reinvent that wheel. And he, you know, this is also spurs a little bit from the NFT conversation we were having is potentially those being the next blockbuster type thing in call in pop culture but it, it is interesting that we're it's going back to that and yet the struggle for the business has always been how do we reach those younger viewers and yet they still keep making the same stuff from the 90s that the younger viewers have no idea what it's for and why everyone's so excited about it I mean, another one just popped. I mean, Ghostbusters—they're doing another Ghostbusters movie, like which I totally agree with that. I, I like Ghostbusters, me actually, but I'm not clearly not the demographic we're talking about. That's uh, all these things are. Yeah, I'm excited about a go another go. I, I, you know, listen—it's directed by Jason 
Reitman, who's Ivan's son. Yeah, Jason Reitman. Yeah, Jason, who's his son. So, like, who directed the original. And that's great. And that's cool. And I guess all three other guys are coming back. Um, so that's awesome. For me, it's like, it's a rehash of what movies were when I was a child. But for the next generation, I don't know if it's necessarily going to connect. And listen, Dune is a very much a very specific sci-fi property. It has a very dedicated audience. People are excited about this movie. It's got cast out the yin-yang. But it's interesting, uh, you know, when you and I were kind of going back and forth a little bit on Twitter, or on Instagram, oh, not Instagram, texting, old school. <laughs> we were texting, and you brought up a point about the reviews and how they haven't been exactly been stellar, and they mm -hmm. haven't been. Um, and one, the IndieWire reviewer, which I thought was really well written. I was like really, in, it was a great review because it really kind of got into the intricacies of the movie and and his, the, the line he ended with was like, it almost feels like this movie is too big <laughs> for the big screen, which is interesting because Dennis, I'm going to butcher your last name, Dennis, and I apologize, Villeneuve, I think is how you say his name, um, is a diehard proponent of the theatrical experience. And he was one of the most vocal um, opponents against HBO Max's WarnerMedia strategy to throw everything on the platform he and christopher nolan were sort of like this is ridiculous this is not what movies are and yet he made a movie that a reviewer says is almost too big yeah. for the big screen and it's it's fascinating to me because what we kind of got into was sort of the idea that it's been so much about the spectacle to get people back into the theater it's almost like the story is starting to become secondary and I think that may be where the problem is starting to leak through in the, you know, the last few movies that have been released in the pandemic. Well, I, I mean, truly, I feel like when I first said it's the end of the blockbuster, I was having an, an, an initial thought, like, maybe this is real. I want to see evidence of it. And now I can't not see evidence of it, hmm. where um, there's just the thought of like, such a big screen theatrical image is something like, yeah, but you know, like, I don't, it doesn't, it's not appealing anymore. That whole yeah. big screen approach. That's a very blockbuster thing. Like remember the blockbuster days we were going like the screen isn't big enough. Let's get an IMAX film to make, make the thing happen. Yeah. And now we're yeah. like, oh, the screens are kind of too big. They're a little inconvenient. I can't put it in my pocket and walk away with it. You know? <laughs> Um, and, and the movie's too long. They're too long. It's two hours. I only have 10 minutes. That's a two and a half hour movie. I only have 10 minutes. I, you know, I just want to watch it on my phone. Yeah. Yeah. And, like and the storyline develops. And, and I think one of the critiques I saw was like, they barely even touched the whole storyline. And they told it from the, the son's point of view. Um, and, and the thought of like, yeah, the, the idea of imagery of wanting to create some big theatrical, experience it just doesn't hit anymore you know i saw the the latest marvel movie the 10 rings and um that it, you know seamus uh, one of my sons is sitting next to me and about 20 minutes in the movie is like i think we've already seen this movie before and it was it was like i think we're watching the black panther again and we're and they didn't even bring in any major characters or any draw to it they didn't reveal anything what the what the next marvel metaverse is gonna kind of play itself out so you are just kind of watching a movie, a very well done movie, by the way, it was, um, it was great to see it, but there were six people in the theater and it was a large LA theater. So it just didn't have the draw to it. And then this, this 
other like clear sign that the blockbuster is over is this Nicole Kidman AMC ad thing. I don't, I don't even know what to make of it. They take it again, like a '90s star, '90s film star, yeah. now currently a television star. Not even like more or less. Would yeah. even one anybody know that she's from Moulin Rouge and that whole upper, the thing that went, it was amazing in the early 2000 uh, era was like, so incredible. Um, and now she's in a theater by herself, by the way. <laughs> like that's I don't know. Like oh, she's in that, a movie that, theater that, by that, herself that me talking about time. the theatrical experience. And like, this is not, that's not the theatrical experience. It's not what we want to go there. And it just, it hits the mark. I feel like they're appealing to a nostalgia. And I feel like the nostalgia is what AMC is trying to say of like, Hey, let's get back to something that we all know. We'll use a 90 star to kind of remember the days when movies were that way. Um, but the movies themselves, they don't get, you know, they're not getting the people to show up. You know, this is a shout out to Ryan Summers, who apparently, according to our producer, tweeted out, curious what our opinion would be on this exact spot. And Ryan, this is for you. Um, I thought it was a dumpster fire of a spot. Um, First of all, the tagline. But what do you really think? Well, you know, listen, I'm going to tell you what my opinion is. Like, that's why people (laughs) come here, right? They don't come here to be, you know, for like, for like, you know, you know, hugs and kisses, right? They come for an actual opinion of love. And it's a dumpster fire. I listen, listen, it's easy to Monday morning quarterback. I'm not going to sit here and say that, you know, the team at AMC has easy decisions to make on the course of the next year or so, or and that the last year hasn't been terrible for them. I'm sure it has. However, the one, you're right. Picking a star who has not been in a movie in that a bulk of the audience has seen in probably five or six years more in a big blockbuster movie. I mean, she was an Aquaman, but she kind of had a secondary role. It wasn't like a big, you know, starring role. She's known for her, you know, the HBO shows now, like, you know, big little lies and the nine strangers now on Hulu. Like that's what she's known for. And it's interesting that that choice was a little off because it's not a mass audience choice. It's not like a Dwayne Johnson. It's not like a Will Smith, like somebody who the are even a Matthew McConaughey going back to that really bad spot for the big screen is back, which was Matthew Conaughey standing like a hostage video in front of a theater. Uh, you know, th- that in of itself was an odd choice. Then putting her in a theater by herself when the whole idea of a theatrical experience is about experiencing it with other people. Now, I gr- granted, they could have filled the theater and I guarantee you they would have gotten hate on Twitter for like encouraging irresponsible behavior in the era of COVID. I understand that. But there are ways to capture awe and amazement in different ways. Like where was the shot of the father with his son watching Star Wars for the first time? Where was the shot of a kid watching, I don't know, E.T. and tearing up and crying in a movie for the first time? Like. Where are some of those memorable, those are the moments that people remember. And they had none of that. They showed movies that have just opened like Wonder Woman and Jurassic World. Granted, I'm sure they got some money from Warner Brothers. And you know, it was a La La Land shot in there. Okay. La La Land too. So they got, they got money probably from the studios for that stuff. Uh, at one time, Oscar award winner, La La Land. A momentary right, Oscar For like a second. Winner. Yeah. Right. <laughs> And then, and then they show the screen and it looks boxed in. It looks small. It doesn't look like a huge theatrical experience. And, you know, Nicole Kidman, she's a talented actress, but then they cut to the shot of her looking at the screen and she's just kind of pan- deadpanned. 
Not even amazed. Not even like excited about it. It's just there were so many marks that they just completely whiffed. And then to say we make movies better, it's like not always. Like, yeah, that was a beautiful theater because it's one you just built two months ago. Go to the theater in the middle of the country that's got a sticky gum wall and the seats are falling apart and the projectionist is a 15-year-old teenager who doesn't really know what they're doing. That's the that's what everyone sees on a day-to-day basis. One of the comments on Twitter was, where's that theater? That's not my theater. My theater doesn't look that good. So it's like, it was just a complete swig and a miss as far as I'm concerned. I appreciate them making an effort. How are we going to use the, the time that we have to to evolve this thing into something it should be. Because if we're all we're do is looking back at now the nineties and saying Mm nineties was the time, right? Um, Mm -hmm. The nineties was the moment of Titanic. Nineties was the moment where Will Smith became famous. Nineties the moment where Nicole Kidman was relevant. Um, Nineties was the moment that the matrix movies dominated the theater. Right? Um, So if we're going to, if, we know that we can't recreate the nineties. We're in a totally different moment here. And again, like the end of it, I guess the question is, is like, do we, do we just shutter the theaters? Are we done with them? No. Or are we going to, are they going to evolve into something, some other type of entertainment venue? Because it's just, it's just time to, to kind of like do something right. with these. Films. Well, listen, I, I'm not going to say that the theater, the theatrical experience will never be dead. I think that it's, it's always going to be there. Um, the pandemic is offered a once in a generation opportunity to take the lessons of the last 10 or 15 years and shown what, what works and what doesn't work in an industry that's been to be quite frank, slowly dying and sort of with by a thousand cuts really, and sort of rejuvenated in some way. Like, you know, we've talked about the paramount decree. I mean, there are theaters here that are old school, beautiful theaters that Disney or Comcast could run in, partner with AMC and just revitalize it and turn it into sort of a, a full-on entertainment experience. And, you know, I, I, I don't know the answers, but there's got to be a, a moment where there needs to be a little bit more experimentation. Let's try to figure, let's have fun with this. There was a time when you know, making movies was like a magical process and it was fun and exciting. And now it's just, all right, let's just put Chris Evans in front of a green screen action. Okay. Well, we'll just fix that in post. Boom. Done. It's like, it just doesn't have that feel anymore. And I think this is the opportunity to sort of really kind of play with different technologies. You know, for example, universal, I don't understand why they don't buy a theater and turn it into like a total NBC universal experience, like, and just make it into that and sort of, you know, have some movies, play some classics like Back to the Future, have like your classic nostalgia screen, you know, theater where you can go watch old school universal movies in a big on the big screen and then have the movie that's running all the universal movies that are new and then have another one that's maybe running a, another movie from another studio and just make it a, an immersive experience. Yeah, I, I don't know. I think you might be repeating the same mistake, though. I mean, one, you know, Universal City Walk already has okay. 2,400 amc you know theaters on their on their lot like so universal and amc could easily make that collaboration right now right just right there in universal universal city walk so there is and i think you're right that there is a moment where you know if i go to a theme park it'd be cool to walk in and watch back to the future 
as part of a theme park, right? If I walk into Disneyland, it'd be cool to walk in and go have a theatrical experience and watch Snow White or something like that. While visiting this fantasy world, this throwback nostalgia fantasy world. But I, but you know, I, I think what I'm reconciling is is that what was once dominating called blockbuster has now been taken over what is now known as a Netflix. Like it's not. We're not into the desire to want to see movies and and uh, devour movies like we used to. And I'm not saying we like you and I. You and I are fans mm-hmm. of the movies, and that's some of what we're trying to to reconcile on the show is to say, hey, there's a this amazing thing called movies, and they're they're a pop culture event as well as they speak a large voice and they have the opportunity for dialogue within within the world. We don't want to lose that to just commercial garbage. And that's what a Netflix, what like a Netflix sounds very much like. It's just <laughs> something you consume. Like you like yeah. Ubers and Netflix. I'll take two Ubers and one yeah. Netflix, please, and with a with a straw. Like it's not we wanna there are opportunities to speak into and have great moments made from a theatrical experience, but that experience requires community, it requires uh relevance, it requires uh, conversation and it requires it may be some level of comfort, some something that's different than what I get at my house when I'm watching yeah. my Netflix. Yeah. So all that could be carved out, but I think what we're looking for when that brings us together doesn't resonate when we're watching 1990 movies recreated. And and by the way, I saw the Matrix trailer. I'm gonna go. It sounds awesome. I'm gonna go to Maverick. I'm gonna go. I'm like, count me in. I'm being marketed to. This is awesome. I'm totally yeah. buying into this thing. But is is the is the Matrix Resurrection going to have it the same kind of speaking and dialogue that the original uh, Matrix had? Because that was, you know, Plato's allegory of the cave being revealed. Like we were, you know, taking the the red pill, red pill, yeah, taking the red pill and 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 uh and the looking glass like we go through the looking glass and we were seeing the world for what it really was like that was a moment that was a revelation moment um so a resurrection moment i'm like mm, is it just the reality of who we've now become and some of that i think by the way in the trailer they're saying that like everyone's staring at their cell phones and one of the shots of the trailer it's very clever yeah yeah i think there's definitely an element of you know, did we update, do they update it to sort of the present reality and what's happening and everyone being on their cell phones? Cause obviously when the first ones were made, Facebook wasn't really around. Social media wasn't a thing. Netflix wasn't even a shot in the dark. Blockbuster was still a big business. That by that, I mean the video chain. Uh, but you know, I think a lot of what you're saying makes sense to me, but it, it's, it's the idea that there needs to be a radical change in how the things are done. And that's what I, I like you read the press after Shang-Chi, which 94 million on Labor Day weekend is, is that's an impressive amount. Don't get me wrong. But then to turn around and say, Hey, movies are back, baby. We're, we're ready to rock. This is it. Everybody wants to go back to theaters. That's missing the, the message. No, that's not true. Because if that was the case, then every other theater would be every other studio would be lining up like here we go let's just start shoving them out there now granted venom moved up two weeks because of how well shang chi did but then you turn around and look at universal where they're putting halloween kills both on peacock and in theater the same day because they're like listen boss baby really worked well for us 
So we're going to go with this. Now, you could make the argument that the flip side of that is Peacock is not doing so hot and they need a goose to really get people subscribing, which is entirely possible. And that may be the true narrative versus the narrative that seems to be suggested by Boss Baby really worked for us. We want to replicate that model with Halloween Kills. But either way, it's like this idea that everything's just going to go back to normal once we get once the coronavirus becomes endemic and it's just a part of our daily lives. It's just a part of thing of just being human in this crazy world of ours. That's not the solution. It's not. This industry is dying a slow death and no one really seems to want to take the opportunity to try to revolutionize it in some way. That's what I'm saying. I'm like, I, and listen, I, I don't, I don't claim to have all the answers and my ideas could be tried and they could fail, but at least someone, I'd love to see them, someone at least try versus just throwing up a nice comfortable seat in the same AMC and then being lambasted with 10 minutes of trailers and then overpriced food, the idiot who can't stop talking. You know, there's all kinds of things. Maybe what that's what Paramount is doing. Like there is the, to have uh, Brian Robbins, like this is kind of breaking news today, right? This is what we're the new revelation of Paramount and, and their changeover yes. of the guard is happening today. Yeah. Um, yeah. But the Brian Robbins coming in from Nickelodeon, maybe there's a, a revelation and recognition that's taking place where that, you know, the people that are making films in the 90s made TV shows in the, in the, you know, the last 20 years. So maybe the right. reality check is that the people that have been watching television and been programming television for 20 years know what the next, what that generation of television viewers or entertainment viewers want. And they have yeah. a really good idea of like what it could, what a right. studio really should be. And to take yeah. kind of an outsider, honestly, which is what we've been preaching for, for a year now on this episode is like, why, where are the new voices? Why are we just have the old guard shifting from place to place? Like we finally have a new voice in the field. It's pretty exciting to have that. Um, the credentials are somewhat awkward, but I, I think that might, that awkwardness <laughs> might be the thing that we, you and I can't see because we're not sitting in the room right. that might have right. vision for, for a generation waiting to get into theaters. Yeah. I mean, listen, I, you know, the news that, Tim has referenced those for those who don't know. Jim Giannopoulos that was announced today is stepping down at Paramount. Brian Robbins is coming in. Will be for, shortly announced as the new head of Paramount Pictures. Um, and I do have to say, Jim was really a great boss to work with at Fox. I enjoyed working with him. Um, he is a devoted lover of movies, no doubt about it. But unfortunately, I think the industry has just evolved beyond him at this point. And... I think from what I've been able to glean from emails and talking with people back out in LA, it seems that there was a disagreement amongst, you know, Sherry Redstone, who's the sort of CEO of Viacom CBS, um, in terms of pushing all the movies into 2022. And I think for her, the final straw was Maverick and pushing that into May of next year, and then also Mission Impossible 7, which goes into summer of next year. That's a lot of lost revenue. Um, and I think Jim was so dedicated to the theatrical experience, to his credit, it saved Quiet Place Part 2, and that was a big hit. And everyone, that was when everyone was like, movies are back. This is such a great thing for the industry. And then, of course, Delta came along, and things started to get crazy. But at the same time, I think he was so dedicated to it that he didn't see the industry is evolving. And I think Sherry was like, listen, we, we might need, and Paramount plus is there and it, it needs hits. 
it needs something. It doesn't have the original content yet that Disney's pumping out and Peacock's starting to put now Hulu's starting to put out some high profile stuff that's getting a lot of attention. So I think Brian Robbins, and again, to your point, is a very odd fit. He's the producer of Varsity Blues, a film that I love from, again, the 90s. Um, and he made like Norbit and some oddball Eddie Murphy comedies. And for those of you who grew up in the 80s, he was on the show Head of Class. Um, so it's an interesting mix, but apparently he had a really tight vision for where he wanted to take the studio. And I guess he pitched it to Sherry and she's on board. So to your point, yes, it's exciting to see a ne- another level a generation to step in. Although I think Brian's in his 60s, late 50s, early 60s. So he's not exactly a Irv Thalberg type, yeah, right. like a young and young gun. But if he has a vision that is going to s- shift things a little bit, then I'm all for it because it is time for that generation who have been running studios for almost 20 to 30 years now, various like bouncing around they need to give up the wheel and it's time if we're going to save the business and prepare it for the next generation, which is really what you're, we're supposed to do then. Yeah. It, 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 it probably for 10 portend something down the horizon that might be hopefully resolu- revolutionary, but yeah, yeah. That's what, that's what I'm hoping is that there's an evolution taking place that, um, but at least the moves that Paramount is making give permission to other studios to make similar moves. Like if Wall Street understands what's happening and they're not freaked out by truly like an unknown, someone that, you know, in Jim's case, he came from Fox into like, he didn't, he just moved within the system. And that's the way it seems to have been for the last 20 years is just moving the same bodies around within the same thing and say like, no, we're going to actually, we're going to take them outside the system, bring them in and start making different moves. It's pretty amazing. And to, and, and kind of maybe to let go. I mean, I'm going to say like Paramount's got to let it go. Like they have to get Maverick out. They're going to have to get, um, um, Clifford, uh, the big red dog. Yeah. The, the, <laughs> right. Uh, the movies that they've been holding. Jackass like, forever. <laughs> because if they just it, holding onto him is a loss anyway. So get them out in the theaters and make things happen and kind of get this, this new trend started. That's what we, that's what we want. And we want to become fans of it. We want to know what's there, but we, and we want it to be a real dialogue and taking into consideration what it really takes to run a studio in today's world. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. Maybe yeah, I mean, Paramount might be, we might be talking, singing Paramount's praises in the next 20 years because they're the, mm-hmm. the first to the, to the field and well, growing and Disney yeah. and the Netflix wannabes of the world are just kind of hanging on to this consumer good stuff. Well, I think the reality is that um, I think Sherry is looking to offload Viacom CBS. There's been rumblings that she wants to merge with somebody. Um, they have, they, I guess they, uh, Viacom CBS and uh, NBC universal d- did some deal with Showtime overseas. So, you know, they're starting to cross pollinate a little bit. So, and I know that their share price has been lagging behind everybody else behind Disney, even behind Warner media. Um, so I think this may be another sign of like, okay, we got to turn the, the wheel a little bit here. We got to start creating something exciting. We don't really have anything that's exciting about Paramount plus. And right now wall street's all about streaming and what that's bringing to the table. 
So, you know, if you're going to, you're going to play the game on wall street, then you got to help your share price a little bit and helping your streaming service, which was launched to some fanfare. Um, and reality is that they already had a, an infrastructure built in CBS all access. So they should have really hit the ground running. Right. But unfortunately there's been a lot of stop and start issues. And another thing, which is interesting about Brian Robbins is I guess he had been deputized to sort of be the paramount plus content chief. So obviously the fact that he's now going to be head of the studio means that there's going to be a lot of, I think, cross pollination between paramount plus and the studio itself, much like we see at Disney with there being crossover between Disney plus and the main Disney content studio. If you yeah, will. I mean, I don't so. want to turn on the vision that I, we just put out there, but clearly if the reason they brought him on is to, to sort through the 25 million hours of Pluto TV and to make it more relevant yes. on the platform, exactly. then that's not yeah. really a studio move. That's just a platform move and they should do something yeah. else. But my hope is, is that he recognizes what the library looks like and knows how to repurpose it. Yeah. And I think, I mean, I, I you know, um, and I think that's a lot of what is this is where this is heading. And, and I think that's partially what maybe what his vision was that he, that um, Brian pitched to Redstone that really kind of hooked her and made her realize that, you know, it's time to move on. Like, you know, Jim, you had your four years. Yes. You had a pandemic, but you know, yeah, I guess she, she wasn't happy with how things were going. And I think pushing Maverick another six, seven months or whatever it was, I think was sort of like, okay, no, we can't do that. It's that, that time has passed. Now, It'll be interesting to see what happens to sort of the structure of Paramount. There are a lot of Fox people over there now. Mark Weinstock, Emma Watts, Chris Aronson, um, Darius Sersik. You know, there's a lot of Fox people over there. So it'll be interesting to see what Brian does with the staff that he currently has um, and whether or not he starts to make, you know, some, some changes. And who knows what that means? Because they're all very st standard traditional theatrical people. Although in my experience with Mark Weinstock, he's definitely open to trying new things, particularly when it comes to marketing. And I think that's a very important aspect of the job. So maybe he and Brian could vibe and sort of, you know, how things might work in a crossover appeal between Paramount Studio and Paramount Plus. So it'll yeah, be really sure. interesting to see like what happens over the course of the next few months. As there, as any time there's a new a change at a, at a studio, like what the, the con, the, uh, the makeup of the rest of the the staff and leaders at the studio will look like in a few months. Time. Yeah. The changeover. Well, uh, maybe they'll call on vision craft brew and you can, um, yeah. your uh, influence. In yeah, that absolutely. I mean, I, I would, I would love it. I mean, you know, that's what I'm here for. You know, I, I work with smaller clients and a lot of other things and, but it's, it's, it's the same issues, big or small, you know, um, that's, that's really what, what it's all about. And, you know, figuring out marketing challenges, distribution challenges, um, you know, and even solving the little problems too. I mean, every, everybody has them, whether or not you're a company of five or you're a company of 2000. <laughs> so I'm just going to imagine the day when Brian Robbins is sitting in the boardroom with you and he said, okay, listen, <laughs> I've listened to your podcast. You clearly <laughs> trash you are everything. <laughs> what is your actual opinion about... <laughs> Yeah, I clearly have no opinion at all. Yeah, I clearly have no opinion. I, I don't have an opinion about anything, really. So. And then there'll be the day when you're cutting the ribbon at the new Paramount Theater in downtown, uh, you know, Westwood. You'd be like, this is... Well, you know the what? There's, there's, a theater, there's a theater right down the street in Wayne, Pennsylvania. It's called the Wayne... It's, the Wayne, it's called the Anthony Wayne, which is named after the Revolutionary War General. 
and it has sat, I believe, closed for the last 18 months. And I've always been like, you know, Comcast, if you want to try an experiment with a theater, it's a perfect place to do it. You know, it's a good mix of people. And, you know, that's, that seems to me a, a place that's ripe for the picketing for experimentation. But, you know, big companies move at, you know, the, the speed of a tortoise. Yeah. So <laughs> I highly doubt they'll, they'll make any moves like that. Yeah. Like we appreciate that, but yeah, right. <laughs> Brian Roberts is like, I got a bigger theater in my house. I don't really know what yes. I would do with that one. <laughs> yeah, but just it's it's nostalgia. It's kind of got you know the big op- you know the big marquee up front, and you know it's very well done inside. So it it has that sort of old school vibe to it that I think yeah. could be maybe and maybe maybe the next step is moving it forward by going back a little bit and turning movie theaters into palaces again instead of making them into giant blocks like they currently are yeah just carved out of shopping malls or whatever the, the yeah other, yeah yeah which is I'm what they are now they just a random, yeah exactly exactly all right my friend well this i've enjoyed walking down this 90s nostalgia hangover with you this <laughs> by the way i don't think we really talked about the matrix trailer but just real quick at the end you know what's your takeaway takeaway i'm not gonna give you my my opinion. um Okay, so uh, the the music cut, brilliant, loved it. Brilliant, that was great. Who who edited it? The way they cut it, I don't know. I got to find that out because I'm really curious. Yeah. Um, Cami Sargent, who's been a guest and will be coming back hopefully in the next few months, a uh, couple weeks, few weeks or so, um, was often my go to because she has a friend who seems to know everybody who cuts whatever trailer. So I'm curious who actually worked on it. Cause it's a be- it's a great cut and you can really see the f- skills, you know, anytime you see uh, an action that cuts right to the beat of the music, you know, you're dealing with a really talented editor because that is so hard to do. Um, however, uh, the last 30 or 40 seconds just kind of started to feel like I've been here before. I don't feel like this is new to me. Um, and there really is a lot to play with now. In terms of the Matrix world, you know, you pointed out in the pre-show, you have, they have people with their cell phones when that wasn't really relevant when the first few three came out. Social media is ubiquitous now. So what role is that going to play in it? So there's aspects of that to see like it could be interesting, but at the same time, I, I, I don't know. I mean, the last 40 seconds kind of lost me a little bit because it started to feel like it was heading back into the sort of video game territory and not anything that was really going to make it distinctly different for me to feel like I need to see that in the theater so I don't suffer a severe case of FOMO. Yeah, I'm curious what anyway. the storyline is because I, I feel like the storyline is for the last 20 years, we've been in a haze. Like we've bought into it. We all got sucked back in mm-hmm. just through um, a different device. And there's like a new yeah. reawakening, right? Um, that, I, that's I that's that, an interesting angle. I didn't mind the action scenes at the end. I almost felt like they were uh, giving us what we needed to see. Like, oh yeah, this is a Matrix movie. Um, because those yeah, large, but, large scenes, this one's on a train, it looks like. But those large scenes, like the freeway chase scene or whatever, like those are that's part of part of the directors how the directors do things. Yeah, I, and I get that. I, I know you have to do that for the nostalgia, but if you want to reinvigorate a franchise you have to bring a new audience into it and i'm not sure that that trailer really does that 
Hopefully, I, mean, I could be wrong. Maverick shows up in the scent in the middle of the movie and flies by. <laughs> Does his flyby? Because <laughs> then we just get all the. And then the Ghostbusters actually shoot down the Matrix. Yeah, the Ghostbusters start shooting it. Oh, my God. And then the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man comes flying down and crushes Neo. Oh, my God. Come on. That's what would be like the greatest 80s and 90s mashup ever. And then you just need the Goonies to come back, too. Yeah, get the Goonies and E.T. on his bike. (laughs) The Goonies. Hi, my friend. Good to see you this week. Always good to see you. See you next week. And thank you all for being part of uh, our show. We appreciate you uh, listening in, uh, sending us the comments, asking us questions. Thank you to Lydia behind the scenes. Lydia, we know that you are now world famous and traveling the world, but we appreciate you taking the time off for our small little show and and making it happen. And of course, Connor, thanks for keeping us on track. Although, Connor, I think it would have been helpful for you to give Keith the pronunciation of, of the uh, director of Doom's name properly. <laughs> That's what we need. That. Yeah, I need to work on pronunciation. I mean, I shouldn't have that. I'm I'm bad with that stuff. I really am. Until I actually meet the person and like kind of put it all together. That's why can... we have people behind the scenes. We need to know how to pronounce. Okay, well then, Connor, that's your job. You got to tell me how to pronounce <laughs> Dennis V's last name. All right. Until next week, when Keith gets new pronunciation lessons, we'll uh, we'll see you next. Week. <laughs>